0: All right, everybody. Welcome to our podcast. We are the internet world order. My name is Austin cook and I'm joined by my co-host Caleb Mecklemore. Caleb, please say hi.
1: Hello everyone.
0: All right. Well, welcome to the show and we're really excited to have you guys on here. This is actually our first episode of our podcast ever. Like this is (laughs) the intro to the world.
1: Ever. This is a big deal. Feel privileged. If you don't feel privileged, I can't help you.
0: No, you. Know, you... <laughs> that sounds pretty bad when we put it that way. But <laughs> we uh, on this podcast, we really like to talk about movies, one of our favorite things in the world, as well as wrestling, superheroes, comic books, video games, all the above. So that's what we're going to be talking about on this channel. So to start off, we wanted to talk about our favorite movies today. And my favorite movie of all time is The Dark Knight. And Caleb, please tell the people what your favorite movie is.
1: Yes, my favorite movie is Big Fish. And so you will definitely have a tone shift between our two movies. If you know anything about both of them.
0: We really like uh, some variety on this channel, I guess you should say.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It worked out that way.
0: It's perfect, but like I couldn't think of a better way for us to like actually start talking about it because, you know, what better way to define us than like talking about our favorite movie, especially like movies that defined who we are as people throughout most of our lives. Oh, for sure. The Cool thing about it was like for Dark Knight for me, like I know that a lot of people really love that movie. I really, really am excited to talk about it today because it's something that's very obviously been done to death by like everyone on YouTube and. You know, like I'm film major in college, so it made sense that like, you know, you hear that and it's like, oh, another film guy talking about the dark night, like, ooh, ooh, ooh. but <laughs> I'm really hoping that you guys can get a new perspective into it and, you know, see it and appreciate it along with me as well. If you do love that movie as much as I do. So I'm really excited, you know, to be talking about it today.
1: Oh, for sure. I think it's been long enough now that we're kind of separated from all the memes and all the jokes that people were making back in the day. To where like you can have like a whole new appreciation for it. At least it's what happened when I saw it. And I'm looking forward to seeing and well hearing your thoughts on it as well.
0: Also, like a weird fun fact that I didn't think about when we first started talking about it. That's the first movie I've ever been to where the entire theater stood up and gave a standing ovation at the end of the, the show.
1: Oh, wow. I think I've only seen that a couple of times with ever in my life. That's that's awesome.
0: Yeah, it's I don't really see it very often <laughs> anymore and that you know that's not a knock on movies in general but like i think that movie was just such a big deal in terms of like breaking ground and you know especially with heath ledger who oh we're going to talk about heath ledger today
1: <laughs> how can you not i
0: i don't know i
1: <laughs> he's I'm the so reason bad. why when like the joker movie with hawking or walking i can never say his name right when that movie came out it's the reason why they're making all the comparisons to heath ledger there's a reason And anyone that's forgotten, go rewatch this movie and you will remember. That's why he's the standard still.
0: I know. And it's kind of like, it almost seems unfair because you're like, oh man, like no one's going to be able to follow that up. And like, it's just because it's so iconic, like no matter, like they've had so many good actors who have like taken up that role in so many different capacities and it's just hard. Like I love the Mark Hamill Joker personally. And I think that like he would be my all time favorite. If there was a way to like bring him to life in live action, I think that would be really cool. But I also prefer who he is as a voice actor and giving him the credit that he deserves for what he brought to the table. Cause he was, I want to say like along with Jack Nicholson's Joker, he was one of those Jokers that like really kind of took the, the whole Batman series into a darker, I hate to use the word, but a darker edge. <laughs>
1: well, it's a phrase that hasn't aged well, but it's still accurate.
0: <laughs> I know. You get like something with a dark theme, and people are like, ow, the edge.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why Deadpool, too, when he saw cable, he's like, you're so dark. Are you sure you're not from DC? <laughs> uh, but, it, but it's still it's true. Like, and I love that you brought more camel that in recent years, he's finally been getting the de- recognition he deserves. And yes, we'll get to Dark Knight. This is, this all works together, I promise. But uh, between him and Jack, they were able to take the Joker where he was this, he was a Saturday morning cartoon villain. And I understand like if we ever break down the history of comics, there's a reason why that happened and it made total sense, but it had ran its course. And those two got it down into a darker territory, which culminated with Heath Ledger.
0: Exactly. And he's kind of like held up as the gold standard of all Jokers now. And like, this might seem like kind of an unpopular opinion, but I personally feel like he's one of the, I'm going to say it. I think that it's one of the best performances in any medium, in any genre. I Ooh. was blown. I know that a lot of people are going to be like, what? How dare you? But like, it's, it's completely valid, in my opinion. Like, it's amazing. It's a performance that still holds up to this day because of just how good it was. And I think that it's completely reasonable to think that it falls into the realms of some of the best cinematic performances of all time.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the reason why he won the Oscar uh, and why to this day, like I said, it just forever people will be compared to his performance. And Which, it's just that's just how it is.
0: And it's totally not fair. <laughs> no, yeah, no,
1: that's the downside of film. It's like someone goes and knocks something out of the park like that. And it's almost like it becomes a blessing and a curse. And not only is Heath Ledger's Joker like that, the entire movie has kind of done that for DC in general, but we'll get to that.
0: It's almost kind of like, you know, when you're a band and you're opening for a big show and the opener just goes out there and kills it. And then they go to the back and (laughs) the main guys are like, well, now what do we do?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Or like, like in film, it's like, uh, I can't remember the guy's name that made Citizen?" the guy who made Citizen Kane. That was his first movie. Oof. how do you follow that? You don't. <laughs> or like how Peter O'Toole, when he did Lawrence of Arabia, how do you follow that?
0: You don't, you can just retire.
1: <laughs> I guess. exactly. And, and, and it's the blessing and curse that can come with film. And so I, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I
0: agree with you completely on that. Yeah,
1: you know, but I just, I'm curious cause I want to ask you cause obviously for those that aren't aware, there is an age gap between the two of us. So I was in high school when the movie came out and Austin was not. And no, like you said you're how old again?
0: I'm 23 years old. So like I was 11 slash 12 when this movie came out.
1: Yeah. Man. I was like 17. So that we can't, we're look, we saw this movie of two very different places. So it's, I'm curious of like, like, I just want to hear like, what was that like seen as a kid? Well, it was terrifying. <laughs> it was like, it's,
0: He's so scary. He's absolutely terrifying as just this villain who, you know, you don't get a whole lot of backstory for him. And, you know, we're talking about everything, you know, we're talking about the Joker mostly right now, but the thing is, is that he's the best part of a movie that has so many other good things going that it just amplifies what's happening in that movie. And it's so interesting when you view the dark knight as a movie through the lens of the joker is the protagonist of this movie because he essentially won at the end in a weird way. Yeah. And I really like that he was kind of grounded in more like I was kind of expecting it, but when they had him as someone who, you know, he puts his own makeup on and he's kind of like I I hesitate to say normal guy, but <laughs> he's a character that's rooted in real world people and you know, what they can be like and what they're capable of. So for me, it was, you know, I'd grown up with kind of like the Joker as like kind of this cartoon, like clowny villain. And then I watched this movie and I was like, oh my gosh, this is absolutely like one. It's terrifying because he's just so good at being scary. And two, it's just so I don't recognize him.
1: Oh yeah. No. It And if you need proof of that, go watch like a, a Knight's tale. Love and then put in the dark Knight right after that. And tell me you recognize Ledger.
0: I still don't recognize him. Even like when his face paint gets smudged or like when you start to see a little bit more of like his face, like I just don't recognize him whatsoever. And it's so, it's so good.
1: Yeah. Like the, the few seconds where you actually see him with no face paint on at all. And you're just like, I don't know what I'm looking at.
0: <laughs> he completely morphs into this character and he's the perfect perfect antagonist of batman which a lot of people have talked about like it was kind of like a well kept secret for a long time in like the comic community and the quote-unquote nerd community because they would very obviously have him be the focal point of a lot of batman's adventures in media whether it be the comics whether it be the batman the animated series which if you haven't seen i'm so sorry because it's so so good and the
1: box that's at target at walmart now you don't have an excuse.
0: Right. And it's on DC Universe, which is like eight bucks a month. And everyone's quarantined right now. So like, if you're like,
1: oh, I'm busy. I
0: can't watch it. I'm like, you're a liar. (laughs) (laughs) You can watch you know, some of your other shows on repeat, but you can't watch something new. That's just not true. Because (laughs) and I understand like some people are very hesitant to give comic book movies a try because there's this unfortunate idea that comic book movies are quote-unquote low art i'm using very big like finger <laughs> quotations right now because the yeah. dark knight very much changed that like batman begins was really great but this movie just catapulted into the stratosphere like it was just such a game changer for a lot of different things and- yeah and w-
1: sorry i was gonna say like and when you think like when you had batman and robin and pretty much movies that justify why people looked at comics in a bad light and then the dark knight just came around and just showed hey no 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 here is a amazing movie that is still very much steeped in comics
0: right and i think that like it's still a crime that that movie didn't get nominated for best picture <laughs> i'm just saying like on
1: re-watching it i have to agree
0: it's so like you know i'm not here to like bash the community for like why didn't you give it a nomination like, because Heath Ledger still won, so that's a huge deal. He was the first ever to win for a comic book movie, if I'm not mistaken.
1: I think he might even be the first to ever be nominated, which blows my mind, because there's been really good, like, Christopher Reeve and all that, Superman, but... Yeah, I, I'll
0: have to look it up. I don't know for sure, but I think they might have technically had, like, Road to Perdition got some Oscar nominations, oh, which uh, is okay. te- technically a graphic novel, and it's also a very good movie if you hadn't seen it. But we're talking about The Dark Knight today. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so back to that. I, this movie specifically, like, it's not just my favorite movie, but it's the movie that convinced me to go into filmmaking. It was what changed my entire perspective on, like, the film industry and movies that were made. And after watching that movie, I was like, I want to make something as good as that. I don't want to make that movie. I want to make my own movies. But this is like, I was so inspired. And I was like 11, 12 years old. And I remember telling my parents, I was like, I want to be a filmmaker when I grow up. And they were like, Okay,
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing. Yeah,
0: Yeah, they I just knew at the time I was like, this is what I want to do. And, you know, since then, I'm I've stuck with it. I mean, it's been 12 years now, 12 years since I first saw that movie.
1: Yeah, 12, 13 years is about like 2007 is when it came out.
0: I know. Well, the first time I ever watched it, my lower back wasn't hurting. So now we're <laughs> at that point in my life where it's like <laughs> all my <laughs> athletic endeavors are catching up to me. And that's how you know that you're getting old. But <laughs> as he says, way,
1: being the young one in this podcast.
0: I know, but six years of wrestling will do that to you. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Fair. You're like, I'm in the best shape of my life. And then you get up and your knees creak and you're like, mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that anymore. Fair enough. And yeah. It's, you know that that movie changed a lot for me because it was so it was proof that the things that I had liked because I was already into comics at that point like I'd grown up watching Teen Titans and Justice League Unlimited and the old Justice League series Superman the animated series and being able to see that but having it be put on the pedestal that it absolutely deserved to be put on is just like it was huge for me because I was like this can be amazing and like people I know who kind of like you know cuz this was around the same time where comic book movies were Either up and down, like you had the, the Sam Raimi Spider Man movies, which a lot of people love, myself included, and then you had other movies that weren't quite as well received, and you know people don't generally hold them up to like this is an Oscar caliber movie, and this movie just came out and everyone was like, oh we're wrong,
1: yeah, one hundred percent wrong, yeah, and then you'd have a couple of movies come out like go well because you'd like yeah, it's Saint, so you're talking about the Sam Raimi Spider Man like you'd have Spider Man one and two great, Spider Man three, eh. then you have X Men one and two. Great. X three. Yeah. So you just kind of kept having this back and forth to where like, like you're saying there was peaks and valleys and yeah. it was kind of nuts. You didn't know which, what you were going to get when you went to go see the movie.
0: Cause it was literally, if I'm not mistaken, it was two months before. No, it was two months after the MCU had kind of unofficially started because oh. Iron Man came out like right before that.
1: I'm. Well, I already said I'm not going to be Googling stuff. So I'm just going to go with what you said. Yes.
0: I remember specifically that it was Iron Man came out like right before that because Iron Man was 2008. And I think that like it did really well like it should have because Iron Man was really, really awesome. Mm -hmm. And then you watch The Dark Knight, which is like you're talking about two very different movies because like they tackle like tough topics in today and like, you know, weaponry and like military and you know, modern day hot topics that we're not necessarily going to go into on this podcast. No, you know, it was one of the first movies where it was like, you're watching a superhero movie while also getting like imagery that like evoked nine 11. way That was like, not traumatic, but you're just like, whoa, like it's so like that scene of him, a Batman in the ruins of that building was just so like haunting. Mm -hmm. So scary without being like overly like edgy, like it was just powerful
1: yeah and i think that's the difference is like it it wasn't trying too hard it wasn't like i don't know it's like it's not like it threw in like random gore like uh cursing or something like cough uh blade trinity cough uh (laughs) and doing bad things like that it understood where to be dark and when to pull back a little bit
0: exactly and i think that well, for a lot of people, that movie scarred quite a few people because they're like, oh, it's a superhero movie. Like I can go into it like I did with uh, with Iron Man. And like, you know, I might have to explain a couple things to him. And then Heath Ledger came on screen and they're like, oh, I'm so screwed as a parent. Oh, that's. Oh, yeah. No, no, no.
1: I still think to this day and I've seen people, put, you know, do their videos on it. That initial scene with Joker, not the bank robbery, the scene when he's with all the gang leaders It'd be the perfect way to introduce the Joker.
0: Yeah, that was scary. I the whole theater I was in, uh, like when he did the pencil trick, everyone was like,
1: oh, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, what is the? (laughs) That's the moment you knew this is different. (laughs) This is
0: not a typical superhero movie. And that like. I I knew that the movie was going to be good from the beginning just because I was so excited about it and I could feel it. Yeah. that just kind of transcended it. You was like, "Oh, you better buckle up, buddy."
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: you better.
1: And you it better starts high buddy. and it just keeps going. That's what makes it so good.
0: And it just gets better and better. Like they I I keep lathering pl- like praise on this movie because like it's so funny watching the difference between like the fight scenes in this movie and then the fight scenes in Batman Begins because you could tell that it's like Christopher Nolan is a very like big visual like epic filmmaker and he, you know that's why you know Dunkirk was better seen on like 70 millimeter like because he loves capturing these epic moments on the widest scale possible and it's very evocative of like Stanley Kubrick and you watch Batman Begins and there's so much like cutting in the fight scenes (laughs) and like every once in a while you'll just kind of like see guys in the back who are like dancing in the back like like like, (laughs) trying to get in on the fight but they're not really there and there's a couple times, like I don't know if it's specifically in Dark Knight, but definitely in Dark Knight Rises, where like you see a guy in the background who runs forward and then gets hit by nothing and he falls over. <laughs> and, like, you <laughs> notice it, and you're like, I can't, I'm not gonna say anything, but I definitely did just see that.
1: It's so <laughs> that's the movie version of a pro wrestling botch.
0: It's it's like the Wilhelm scream, but <laughs> it's less noticeable because they still use the Wilhelm scream for some reason. <laughs>
1: because it works it's like duct tape
0: <laughs> I know but like I remember when they had it in Man of Steel like this movie that was like so like you know it was a little on the darker side not in, like it was graphic or gory but like it was very intense and mm-hmm. there's a scene where a guy gets thrown off of the plane and then he just goes Whoa! <laughs> and I was like that felt so out of place for this whole movie
1: <laughs> well to go on the comments, like to kind of because I'm just curious because with this being your favorite movie I'm curious of your thoughts of like I think one upon rewatching it, cause obviously cause it had been years since I had seen it last. So one of the things that I always liked when I'd watched it, but I guess seeing it at this point in my life, I have a real appreciation for it, is the chemistry that Christian bell and, um, Michael Caine have as, uh, Bruce and Alfred. Oh, that's uh, wonderful. Exactly. It's like, to me, as great as Heath Ledger is, it's like, I almost want to put their chemistry like right there next to Heath Ledger's performance.
0: It's so, it's very natural. And like, I mean, it's Michael Kane So you're always going to get like a really good performance out of it. But the way that they kind of play off each other and the sarcasm that's laden throughout like Michael Caine's entire, like, you know, when he delivers monologues or like when mm-hmm. he delivers like snappy one-liners to Bruce, it's like they're old friends, which is perfect because that's exactly what they should be.
1: Yeah, you know, like when they're, you know, when they're walking toward... Exactly. Like when uh, Bruce was thinking he was about to go give himself up as as Batman and they're shutting down the Batcave and they're walking through, he goes, Well, Alfred, you can now say I told you so. He goes, Well, I don't want to. And I, <laughs> I, I walk I goes, but I bloody did tell you so.
0: <laughs> I, was like, don't I don't want to, it. but I'm going to, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that about it. And Michael Caine's really perfect in that role. Like I know that like we've gone through many Alfred's over the years and mm-hmm. oftentimes it's like the, the cool thing with Alfred is you'll get actors who are very like seasoned actors. Like I know that. um Like Jeremy Irons, when he was announced as Alfred, I was like, oh, this is going to be.
1: Oh, yeah. Phenomenal actor. Perfect.
0: Andy Circus is the new one. Uh, yeah. With Robert another Pat- one. Perfect. Robert ba- Battinson. <laughs> oh, God dang it. Pat man, which I'm really excited for.
1: <laughs> okay. Actually, I can get behind Pat man. I can. I can go for that one.
0: Patman and Battinson. It's going to (laughs) work.
1: Well, of course it's going to work. He spent a decade playing a moody vampire. It's like he was preparing for this.
0: Oh, it's true. Well, also, like if you watch some of his indie movies, like especially like what he did with uh, the Safdie brothers, it's just so so, like good time. It's so good. He's so versatile and he's so intense. And I just love watching what he does because honestly, he's kind of a joy to watch and he's kind of a perfect fit for Bruce Wayne.
1: Yeah. I mean, we'll talk about probably in another episode, but for sure, I'm all aboard the let's forgive him for Twilight because not even he liked filming Twilight. So let's let the man have a break.
0: I mean, people were all on Michael Keaton's case, too, when he was Batman. They're like, oh, well, he's primarily a comedic actor. And then he ended up being awesome.
1: Yeah. Or I mean, shoot, it's like uh, since we're talking about with the Dark Knight, when Heath Ledger first got announced as the Joker, a joke that I thought was hilarious, but kind of tells you. And I was like, why are they doing Heath Ledger? You might as well call this movie Broke Back Batman.
0: Oof. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Which, yes, it's hilarious because I'm a sucker for alliteration. But then he goes out there and obviously like we've you've already heard his talk for a while about how great it is. So let's just give people a chance.
0: Yeah, but it's always give people a chance, especially like because people are like, oh, yeah, how to lose a Batman in 10 days. <laughs> they had, oh, like, yeah, like this That's whole true. spiel that they were giving him and I am so glad that not only did he go above and beyond, but he literally proved
1: everyone wrong. So I guess to kind of like as, before we get rabbit tread onto uh Patman, what are your thoughts? I'm curious, like what you, your thoughts on like what to like how they handle two face.
0: It was brilliant. I think that it was perfect. I wish I could have seen a little bit more of him like in the future, but it was also like in terms of the overall story, it was the perfect way to have his story arc complete. Mm -hmm. and you know spoiler alert if you haven't seen the dark knight
1: it's a 13 year old movie come on now
0: it's from years and years ago if you haven't seen it yet then just kind of skip skip over a couple minutes (laughs) but (laughs) two-face essentially dies at the end and it's you know because batman saves you know gordon's family and you know two-face falls to his death and it's the perfect story arc for him to set up this entire redemption for batman as a whole in the future movies and essentially the joker won in the end which is crazy like because you don't often see something like that in movies where it's like oh yeah like the bad guy like kind of wins or the the bad guy has a point it's like no he didn't necessarily have a point he was just so entrenched in his belief and he had he's the perfect counter to everything that batman stood for which is basically like in the long run you kind of see it like at the development of the patriot act i guess in a lot of ways yeah and you see him just countering that and bringing chaos in a way where it's like, you don't even agree with him. You don't even sympathize with him. He's pure evil, but you understand his motivations in a way that's perfect and how he eventually forces Batman to change for the better. Because Batman was, I want to say wrong. He was wrong. Batman was wrong.
1: <laughs> oh, no, the whole. There's a reason why Lucius Fox like gives him the verbal smackdown of like, this is terrible what you're doing now.
0: Right. They had to go above and beyond and invade people's privacy and do things that weren't necessarily heroic in order to to win. And in the end, they still didn't win because they became opposed to what they originally stood for. And he proved that they were wrong, but he also forced them to change for the better. And I think that that's that's brilliant storytelling because it goes beyond like we can heap praise on, you know, Chris like Christopher Nolan and Heath Ledger all day, but like Jonathan Nolan helped make this movie what it was in that regard. He really took a lot of this this story arc and just made it so not only like applicable to everything going on in the world climate, but he made it applicable to just basic human storytelling in moral ideology and you know, how, you know, what is good and what is right in this world? What is wrong? And when do we cross the line into wrong? Because we're trying to do the right thing.
1: Yeah. It's like that phrase of the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions.
0: Exactly. That was, I don't know why I didn't think of that.
1: <laughs> it's cool. That's why there's two of us.
0: That, yeah. If I was doing this alone, I'd be screwed, but
1: <laughs> yeah, but uh, I, I get what you're, I understand what you're saying. It's like, you have a villain, like Joker didn't ultimately win. Cause his ultimate goal was he wanted to basically create, I guess you could almost say like super villain, like true, like, actual supervillains with himself and two face and and it didn't quite work out that way, but he also didn't lose.
0: Yeah. It's everything didn't go according to plan, but I mean, he's an agent of chaos and he essentially had almost complete control over the entire situation. Yeah. With, with Harvey, like one of my favorite scenes in the movie, like, first of all, it's hilarious because when he's trying to, um, when Harvey's in the hospital and he shows up in the nurse outfit, and he takes his mask off and Harvey doesn't realize who he is until he takes the that mask was, off. It's always
1: been a weird moment. Even though we rewatched it, I'm like, what?
0: He's just like looking at him and then he takes it off and it's like, how did you not know exactly? How, how did
1: you did not you piece that know? together?
0: Like He's looking at him. He's like, oh, my nurse with the wig and the eye makeup again. <laughs> like, <laughs> and nurse with my favorite strange, parts.
1: Masculine.
0: Right. He's like, huh, that kind of looks like the Joker and whatever. That's not a big deal. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I sometimes wonder if that's a situation of maybe that was like maybe that was like a longer scene or something and they had to edit it down and it would have made more sense if you saw the full thing.
0: Right. Like it, it didn't hamper, you know, my enjoyment of the movie, but like well, looking, back it, looking back on it now, I'm like, that's hilarious because I didn't catch that the first time. Because the <laughs> was so good. And that scene in particular where he essentially turns Harvey to the dark side and he gives him the gun and he has it in his hand one of those small details that I noticed is that he had his hand on the hammer. So if Harvey pulled the trigger, the gun, wasn't going to fire.
1: That's true. I didn't think about that. Good point.
0: He had complete control over the situation. It's the illusion of choice, which is so brilliant yeah. because he, he gave Harvey what he wanted, which was choice and fairness in his own mind while also completely controlling that situation. No matter what Harvey did, he was going to walk out of there Victor.
1: Yeah, like to have like as he put it later to have his ace in the hole,
0: which is Harvey Dent. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds so weird when you say it like that. But also, let's talk about um, you know, like Aaron Eckhart did such a great job with portraying Two Face and how Two Face was, especially oh gosh, like yes. comic accurate because mm-hmm. Two Face is known as the the villain that started off as the guy who was doing the right thing, so he was a perfect choice for it. But the way that Two-Face and Harvey Dent plays off of Christian Bale in this movie is just so so good too Mm -hmm. it's so like because you can see them agreeing on what they need to do but ultimately never agreeing on how to do it
1: yes and that dichotomy is just I mean not just with with Christian or with Bruce Wayne but like how Harvey Dent uh, brushed up against Gordon how he brushed up against the mayor because it's like he almost had this I mean geez it was almost Superman-esque Of how he's like, We're the good guys. The good guys lock up the bad guys. It's that simple. And they're like, No, it's not.
0: It's never that simple. And like, you know, that one of the funny things about like the original like Batman Begins is they have the scene where it's like he goes down and like he's in like the underworld where like the judges are hanging out with like the Falcone or the Carmoni families and like they're like hanging out down there and it's like they're filling our streets with crime and corrupting our youths with drugs and (laughs) it's it's so funny because it's like it's kind of heavy handed but it's also perfect for like (laughs) the series and what you know they stand for because in the beginning it's like this hopeful like he went from being this angry person to being i'm gonna do the right thing i'm gonna follow this rule and the one rule that batman always follows throughout this series in particular is that he doesn't kill people like he doesn't commit murder
1: He'll in beat order. you within an inch of your life, but he will not kill you.
0: <laughs> no, he won't kill you. No. no, one more punch would kill you and that would be wrong.
1: <laughs> uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, just look at Robot Chicken and it will make sense. It's
0: amazing. And then the Joker's like, that somehow means I win. <laughs> <laughs> you won't kill me. I have won. And it's, it's just this funny back and forth. And I, I really love Christian Bale as Batman. Yes. It's so, so good. And it's something that, kind of set the bar for me that future Batman's kind of had to live up to, which I mean, thankfully I don't think we've ever had a Batman that had been like, he is not fit to be Batman.
1: The I've closest always... we got was it got lit. Like they really tested the waters with George Clooney and Val Kilmer. Yeah, but,
0: but even then it's like they had the characteristics to make it. Oh no. The, accurate to what Bruce Wayne is. I kind of like that. It's the just, fault. The...
1: wasn't their fault. It was the fault of the writing and directing.
0: Right. And so I, I get think what you're that, saying. Yeah, I agree. They look back on it now and like, you know, they can acknowledge it and kind of be like, yeah, you know, like it, it wasn't my best work. And you know, if I could have done things differently, I would. And we've always kind of been lucky in that regard. Cause I don't think there's a Batman that I've been like, that is not Batman. I've exactly. watched it. I've been like, even to an extent, I'm like, there's always some bit of Batman in the characters they choose. And they've always done a really good job of choosing that Christian yeah. Bale is right up at the top with some of my favorite Batman characters of all time. And you're noticing yeah. that I'm not saying he's the best, <laughs> which doesn't mean that he's, you know, not very, very close because I'm kind of back and forth on a lot of the characters of like who's portrayed Batman and how I feel about him. Cause they all bring something really cool to the table. And I that's also, what make,
1: that's what makes the character endearing too, is because you can do that.
0: Exactly. And he's, he's human. He doesn't have any superpowers except being rich. Joe yes. from Justice League. <laughs>
1: but and it's, all, but it's also true.
0: It's so true. It's like, you can't, people are like, well, I could become Batman. It's like,
1: no, you couldn't. <laughs> like, you have to have the net worth of a small country.
0: You have to be one of the richest men in the world in order to become Batman. And even then you probably couldn't become Batman because your human body can only take so much of a beating, which I'm really yeah. glad they touched on, especially like beginning with this movie. Because in the first movie, it was, you know, brand new, like he was just starting. But in The Dark Knight, like it introduced the idea that Batman is not invincible. Like he had all those bruises. He had all those bumps and cracked ribs. And, you know, he was messed up, like for lack of a better way to put it, like he was kind of effed up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm
0: glad that they showed that because it made him feel more human to what Batman should be like a lot of times now, like we can kind of look at Batman in series and just go like, oh, he's he's unstoppable. Like he literally just beat up Superman, which yeah, can't happen. Don't get me wrong but
1: (laughs) (laughs) no, I know what you're saying. Like, uh, and a lot of superheroes nowadays, like you might see them to get like a little bloody or like, especially like, let's take like, uh, the Avengers movies, like they'll get beaten up and be bloody and give it like 10 minutes. And somehow they're miraculously healed because I guess they can heal like Wolverine. Dark Knight was like, no, these are scars. He got maybe weeks ago, maybe months ago.
0: I was thinking about like in justice league, like, with him like that was the first time we kind of just like started to see Batman like get messed up in that universe where it's like he'd take hits because in Batman versus Superman like he would get thrown around in the suit and then just deliver some kickboxing maneuvers <laughs> like
1: yeah and the that's whole some
0: warehouse fight and then in Justice League you're like oh wait like he's you like he got tossed around by Superman a little bit like because he wasn't defending himself at all and you could see like they had to like pop his shoulders back in and he's all messed up and I was like that's almost a better way to portray the character because it makes me feel like he's more vulnerable.
1: Yeah. And you're cheering for him more. Cause you're like, Oh, he can die.
0: Oh, he absolutely can die. And I, he's kind of like the iron man of the, the DC universe in a way. Like they're very different. They have their own merits, but something about Batman makes him more relatable in the regard of like, well, he can just get shot like offhandedly. And then that's it.
1: Yeah, so it's like, you know, obviously uh, with it being a comic book movie, you know, like the good guy's going to win, but you're just like, but because he's human, you have that moment of, oh, he might not. Because like you said, just one bullet and that's all it needs.
0: That's all it's going to take. And he, you know, for all of his money and for all of his worth, it's like he has to put himself in a position. To try and do the right thing. And it almost kind of scares me because it's like Superman can do that, but he's also Superman. Exactly. <laughs> like you, all the firepower in the world can't take down Superman. It's he has very specific weaknesses. But one of the big things about you know Bruce Wayne is that Bruce Wayne is Batman? Wait, right. Bruce Wayne is Batman. And <laughs> he, he's so I just realized that guys.
1: <laughs> I, I didn't think I could ever piece it together. Who would have thought? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who else could afford to be Batman?
0: I know because it's it's hard to make him super super relatable for just his regular character because the billionaire he has yeah. everything going for him in the world, but the choices he makes and what he how he puts himself on the line because of those choices, I think, is fascinating.
1: Yeah, it's like that uh, a meme I saw years ago, but it's true. Like when people are like, "Why do they like Batman?" He goes, he's literally the one percent, but he's fighting for the ninety nine.
0: Exactly. He's like he's white privilege that's using his white privilege to fight for the good of everyone <laughs> around him, which <laughs> is really like, I, I can't remember where I read that, but I was cracking up because I was like, that's a great way to put it.
1: <laughs> it's not bad, but I mean, because it's like you're saying, like Bruce Wayne, the character himself is not very relatable. I mean, it's like that moment in the very first Avengers movie when, you know, Steve Rogers looks at Iron Man and goes, take away the suit. And what are he goes? Billionaire, playboy, philanthropist. And that's exactly what Bruce Wayne could say.
0: Exactly. He's kind of the same, except not as like his entire Bruce Wayne persona is a complete facade because he incorporates this changed person into Batman. And that's who he is underneath all of that, because I mean, people like this is going to sound so cheesy, but they're like, oh, Batman is who he actually is. Bruce Wayne is the real Matt. And I was like, no, he's Bruce Wayne. Oh, he's absolutely (laughs) Bruce Wayne. He's just pretending to be something other than what he actually is because otherwise people would lose hope in Batman because he knows that you can't rally around a billionaire who yeah. can only throw money at certain things. Like he actually like takes vigilante justice into his own hands and that's, yeah. oh, that's so cool. It's also not possible, but it's so
1: cool. <laughs> exactly. It's like Let's just talk about like, cause if you ever had a comic book accurate Batman, that means he has to have like 10 PhDs and yet at the same time is a master in like, every martial arts ever invented and a few that were made up and it has all he these still,
0: social skills and like,
1: yeah, he can get people. any man or woman that he wanted because he's that smooth and he has the time to still keep up that bot to still keep up the shredded body that he has.
0: <laughs> that's it's just not possible. Like,
1: <laughs> So it's like, but th- that's part of what, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's part of what I think from what I'm hearing from you is that like they found a way to take, the ridiculousness of when you really look at the comic book Batman of like, as great as he is, it is ridiculous, but they found a way to frame it in a way that's realistic and grounded.
0: Yeah, I felt like I was watching a real character and like watching him struggle to fight dogs like that yeah. makes so much sense. Like, he, you know, he doesn't just like deflect him with like a a force field or some random like gadget that he has in his belt much like the original batman the adam west batman which i love that i think that's hilarious but it also doesn't it's great in its own sense. right <laughs> he, pulls, he pulls out the dog repellent spit like spray and it's like where did you get that and he's like i'm batman
1: <laughs> no you mean the shark repellent spray that worked on the shark and it exploded but it was a robotic <laughs> shark so it shouldn't have worked but it did anyway
0: <laughs> right and it was hilarious but it's just like if you tried to like apply that to the dark knight and it's like Him, he's like, oh, I'm struggling. This dog's biting me. Don't worry. Like, I have the perfect solution to this because I'm Batman and I thought everything out. Like, yeah, it's just so funny to, like, think about. I love the groundedness of this in a way that, like, it can't be replicated with those other superheroes.
1: Right. No, I agree with you on that. That is, I mean, it's like uh, the big fight when he's he's working his way up the uh, stories to get the Joker. And he deals with all the all the henchmen and the thugs. But then he still struggles with the dogs.
0: I know. And And it's like, yeah, he's
1: he's been trained on how to fight people, not animals.
0: And animals are like dogs are dogs are gnarly. Yeah. (laughs) Like they're wild animals. And one of the interesting things like now that we're bringing it up is like he's so strong and he's known for like all of his strength and you know what he can do to criminals. Like they're all afraid of him because he can break all their bones. And the thing about the Joker that just makes him even more interesting of a villain is the fact that he doesn't care if you physically beat him up because it means nothing to him. Yeah. Like, and he even quotes that in the interrogation scene, which is so good. It is. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. When he's like, you have nothing to threaten me with all your strength and you still can't touch me on this because it's not like, it doesn't affect me. And that was just brilliant because it's like Superman and Lex Luthor where it's like Superman has all the strength in the world and he's smart as well. But Lex Luthor has is even smarter. He's even more brilliant. Yeah. And and
1: he's, and and he's conniving. So it's like, you can't, he's so well connected. It's like, if you go after me, it's like, it's almost like you're going after America sort of thing.
0: Right. To look at it, you know, in one perspective, like he's kind of Superman in the way of like, his brains make him a Superman, but he's also evil. Yeah. In a way that's very, very interesting. And I love that about the Joker too, because it's like, obviously it's a little smaller scale. But (laughs) you have someone who's brilliant and has all this strength and all this power, but they're not evil. Like the Joker is yes. And they very Um, well could be that like one day could change everything. And that's, I'm quoting the, the killing joke unintentionally, but that had a huge impact on everything that has inspired Batman media today. You can't watch anything with a Joker and not be like killing joke.
1: Yeah. The two, the, the, the two comics is the dark Knight returns and the killing joke. Basically, everything that's happened in the last 30 years is because of those two comics.
0: That, and I think with this movie, was the Long Halloween was a huge, huge like influence on this story, especially yeah. the Two-Face and everything he did.
1: Yeah, I think they even said like uh, someone, I will never know if this is true or not, because I, I, I told it at a comic shop, so the guy might have told me this just to sell the comic. But uh, he was like, when he handed me the killing joke, I was like, I've heard about this. Why should I read it? He goes, it's what they gave Heath Ledger when he told him to study of the Joker. I went, I'd oh. like to
0: believe that it's probably true because they always give them material to look up when they're like preparing for the role. And yeah. the cool thing about superhero movies is like, it's always there. Like you have mm-hmm. a big library of stuff and it's like, that's why it's technically like adapted material, but it's stuff that you can draw from to create your own story. And the cool thing about that is like the comic book movie doesn't have the constraints of it has to follow the specific storyline. It's not like a book where if you change it too much, it changes the entire story. Exactly. You're adapting characters into like elements of the storylines that made them great while focusing specifically on those characters. And they nailed Batman in that regard because Christopher Nolan's just so (laughs) 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 I remember like this movie was when they kind of started playing around with the. uh, Like the IMAX change, like the aspect ratio change where there was like noticeable bars on the screen and then you would watch it and it would change like the frame. You'd be like, Whoa. Like, <laughs> like,
1: yeah, that's true. I didn't think about that. Good point.
0: Yeah. It, it never, it didn't affect me when I first watched it, but as I got older and I started learning film like theory, at UC, I was like, Oh, like that's very noticeable now. <laughs> like, yeah, it, It's not a bad thing, but it also adds some extra weight to the scenes where it really does come to use. Like when he's in Hong Kong, And he's on top of that building, and it switches to IMAX. You're like, oh my gosh, like that is that is dizzying to look at. Like, I I have a 32 inch TV in my room, and I showed my girlfriend The Dark Knight recently, and she was watching it, and she's like, ah, like just watching not
1: expecting it.
0: Yeah, you're just looking at it, and you're like, I would never do that. And it's like, well, yeah, you're not Batman. (laughs) (laughs) No one's Batman, and I can't think of anyone who'd be like, yeah, I'll just dive off of this roof and then. Somehow get connected to a balloon on a plane and fly away and not pee myself in the process.
1: <laughs> yeah, just, you know, kidnap a Chinese national and not cause a world war.
0: This is also Batman we're talking about. No, 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 no.
1: That, that's not me nitpicking. It's just, it, it's part of the ridiculousness of why people like Batman.
0: Right. He can do whatever he wants. They're like, he has no jurisdiction, which is true because he's, I mean, if we're really looking at it in a technical way, He has so many crimes that he can be
1: convicted of. (laughs) He'd have, like, for those of y'all that are familiar, like, with, if you know, like, Suicide Squad, of, like, they get brought into the team because they have multiple life sentences. Batman would have more life sentences than the entire Suicide Squad combined.
0: Vigilante Justice is very much, like, I mean, not a whole lot of people do it because, well, they're not Batman. (laughs) But it's also, like, you'll die. Yeah. It's you'll die, and like he just has such a high like crime count, but like Gotham's such like an a crime infested city. Yeah, (laughs) it's like eighty five percent of Gotham gets murdered in a year. (laughs) Like that's not true, but
1: (laughs) it feels like it.
0: (laughs) It's like everyone is constantly dying in Gotham.
1: (laughs) I mean, geez, we see some of the like arc after arc that happens in comics. You're just like. I'm pretty sure 2 million people just died in the span of like a month.
0: It almost feels like the superheroes make it worse.
1: <laughs> and that's actually one of the things Dark Knight talked about. Which,
0: yeah, it's true. It's like there wasn't a Joker before Batman came around. and Yeah,
1: you just had the Mafia and that's it.
0: Right, and it's dude, it's just so scary because he scared the Mafia. And then the Joker, who's far worse than all the Mafia combined, is like he just completely shook up everything. And then you have Bane, yes. who in the next movie which we'll talk about the dark knight rises in a later episode like more more thoroughly and more thoughtfully but he's scarier on a different level because he's entirely batman while also being stronger than he is in almost yeah. every regard so like mm-hmm. whatever the joker lacks in physicality bane more than makes up for and it's just and I, so interesting to watch
1: oh for sure and i will always i know some people obviously because the dark knight set such a high standard the dark knight rises was kind of doomed to not meet that standard but i will always thank the nolan brothers for redeeming bane after what batman and robin did to him
0: well right they made him like the design of him was kind of cool like i know that it's going to be like blasphemous to say like yeah i kind of like something from that movie it was like his design was mildly interesting and everyone's like
1: (gasps) (laughs) i mean (laughs) it is but
0: But they also made him like a bumbling oaf who would just like.
1: Rawr. That's yeah, that's literally his only his only line is. in the whole movie, and it's,
0: he just he just roars and like throws fake punches, and you're just like, oh yeah, my the, gosh, that's not Bane.
1: Well, was making him comic book accurate of a scrawny guy that turns into a giant brick house of muscle. Well, he's
0: not even scrawny like initially. He just puts on all that weight, and then the venom makes him even more scary. Yeah, You're like, like, I don't want to fight that guy.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And I'm fine with that. But like, yeah. Then, like I said, Dark Knight Rises kind of like showed you like, no, Bane's a big deal. Here's why.
0: So scary. I love it. But back back to like the Dark Knight, like it's just so like watching that transition of like, you know, you have different characters. Like you had Ra's al Ghul in the first one. And, you know, he's great. Liam Neeson's great in that role. I love that Ra's al Ghul. And I was... Initially a little hesitant when I heard it was Razo Gul because I was like, can't he just like come back to life? Yeah. And then they, they incorporated it in a way that I I was very like, okay, <sighs> <laughs> like I don't have to worry about like mystical stuff in this very like realistic, grounded Batman movie.
1: Yeah, that, i am not gonna lie, I was a little worried about that too, because it's like you can't have both.
0: Yeah, and they found a way to make it work really well, and I'm very pleased about that. And to this day. I think that it set a really good standard for like Batman villains because they've always been some of the more highly regarded villains in comic book like lore and history. Like everyone either looks at like Spider-Man villains or they look at Batman villains and there's a lot of others like, and that's just in mainstream media. Like obviously like if you're super into comics, you're going to watch all of these other movies and you will be like, well, Superman has great villains too, which he totally does. Yeah. And Green Lantern has great villains too. It's just so there's such a deeply rooted, interesting thing about what Batman villains do. And that's, I mean, they they're... challenge Batman in ways that are specific to his character and they do it so well. Like a lot of great villains do that, but the way that his villains do it are just iconic. It's
1: so exactly. Amazing. There's a reason why they've endured for literally 80, anywhere from depending on when they got made 50 to 80 years.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, he's been around since
1: the forties. Exactly. I mean, it's like, cause they, Two Face is like everyone always says. Like Joker is Batman's greatest uh, mistake. No, that's Two-face. Two Face, because he could Two-face have prevented was- Two Face. Joker was already too far gone.
0: Yeah, Joker was the antithesis of everything that he is. Harvey Dent was what he kind of aspired to be in the eyes of the public, but yeah. was ultimately unable to save because even he was corruptible. Yeah, because he he was not perfect. He wasn't what the public saw him as, and you know them trying to protect that was you know like. Protecting a lie, yes, and I mean, like if you've all seen the movie too, you're probably just like you're literally just reciting the plot to me,
1: but <laughs> well, you don't understand it's so good.
0: It's just so good. Just listen to me, okay?
1: <laughs> if you're <laughs> Maybe, still would... listening now, then you, you're in you're okay, just let's have this.
0: you're in. please let me have this, okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love it it's It's a movie that I can watch like there's not a movie I watch every single day just because. You know, that's incredibly difficult to do, but it's a movie that I can watch frequently all the time that always just gets better for me. There's always some new small thing about it that I can appreciate that I can fall more in love with. And it still reminds me why I started film in the first place. So like, that's why it's my favorite.
1: Yeah, no, i to guess put a nice little bow uh, for myself. Like, it's been great to watch, come back and watch this because as I alluded to at the beginning, Anyone that was watching it back when it first came out, we're all aware of all of like people poking fun at Christian Bell's Batman voice of sounding like the love child of Clint Eastwood and a grizzly bear. Uh, In a car, exactly. Uh, uh, why do you want to kill me? But um, now that we're years apart, years away from that, you know those memes are long dead, and I could almost watch it for like almost like for the first time in a way, like it kind of gave a whole new appreciation to like, just really enjoy it. And so I, I'm glad that there, we were able to talk about this in long form and it's, I completely understand why it's your favorite movie.
0: Well, I'm glad you do understand. It's, (laughs) it was a big part of my childhood. And, you know, I actually watched the Tim Burton one, Right around the same time, I think I think my parents finally let me watch it. because They're like, yeah, you know what? Like he's he's getting to that point where he can start watching stuff like, you know, PG-13 movies that we normally wouldn't let him watch.
1: Yeah. Old and, enough to where you'd be fine.
0: Right. And that's when I started actually like around that time was when Blockbuster was still around. And there was a movie that I, you know, because we I had the Dark Knight on like DVD, like my family got it on DVD. They're like, you're we're just going to buy this movie. <laughs> i didn't have to worry about that but a movie that i wasn't fully aware of when i was a kid because i just hadn't had the chance to watch it was big fish which incident incidentally is your favorite movie that we're going to talk about today i rewatched that again and oh my gosh it's so good
1: oh <laughs> uh, i i i'm trying to think of like how to just where to even start because uh That movie just, it, there's obviously like the acting and the cinematography and a lot of, I love the way that, especially when there's, when they're in the memories, like the way the lighting's done versus when they're in the present day, there's all sorts of things like that. But ultimately what it boils down to for me is that with Big Fish and for those of y'all wondering if you ever watch the movies, if you watch Dark Knight and Big Fish back to back, I'm going to worry about your mental sanity just because of how big of a shift in tone that is. They're both uh,
0: incredibly, like, emotional movies in different ways, so you're just kind of bouncing all back and forth.
1: Yeah, you're... uh, If you do it while you're in quarantine right now, that means it's getting too... But, um, ultimately, it boils down to, like, the beginning of the movie when the guy says... When the son uh, says that his father has always just told these tall tales... And it's impossible to separate the myth from the reality. So the easiest way to tell his life story is just to say it exactly as he always told it. And for me, I just relate to that on a very, very sentimental level because my dad has always been a big storyteller. If you ask him about like what college was like, what uh, various adventures he went through when he had, when he was working in, uh, at Albertsons, which is a grocery store chain that it's pretty much all but gone at this point. So for those there's, of wondering,
0: there's still one in my hometown actually. And <laughs> I thought
1: almost gone, but yes,
0: yeah. it's still staying strong. Like I, everyone would go to like Stater brothers, but like Albertsons never quit. And exactly. I, <laughs> I love that. It's still there.
1: It, no, I, when I would live, when I live for California in a few years, I would, for a few years, I would go by Albertsons every so often, just for the little, like feel like a kid again. Uh, but, He would tell these stories and you swear 75% like you're like, no, that it did not happen like that. There's no way what you're telling me is true. And then you find out that's how it happened. He exaggerated some of the details, but that's essentially what happened. That's where I relate to Big Fish so much of like the father and son dynamic. And just for disclaimer, in case I have family or friends, that end up listening to this. My dad and I are basically like best friends at this point. We're good. I don't have this strained relationship like in that movie. But just, I understand that dynamic of you have this, you have a father figure that casts a very long shadow because he's very sociable, very personable. And uh, just tells these amazing stories that people kind of just sit and listen to. And you kind of feel like you're always having to live up to that. So that's why that movie's always resonating with me on a deep personal level. On uh, that and the fact that I am a mark for, and I'm probably going to say his name wrong, but I have a complete mark for Aaron McGregor. I will watch anything he's in. And... Yeah,
0: Ewan McGregor is amazing. And I I liked watching this movie because Billy Crudup, like as one of the co-leads in the movie, I was like, oh, it's kind of like Mister, like Dr. Manhattan and Obi-Wan Kenobi, like their origin stories. <laughs> 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 Like for anyone who doesn't know, like uh, Billy Crudup played Dr. Manhattan in the Watchmen movie. That's right. I, I, cause everyone forgets that. and Cause everyone knows that you and McGregor was very clearly like Obi-Wan Kenobi, but it's just so funny when you like put him in a movie and you're like, who's
1: going to win. <laughs> that's true. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. it's kind of like we like watching the dark night, the anchor for Gotham city news is the guy who plays Howard in better call Saul. Now and I'm like, Oh, that's cool. But, uh, uh, but yeah, like just with Big Fish, it's just, uh, it's very whimsical, very fantasy. I know for a lot of people, you wouldn't think Tim Burton could, would do that. Cause it's like, you're sitting there watching it and it has like this, this, the music is perfect for the scenes. And you're just sitting there like, this is the same guy that made Beetlejuice and you know, the 1989 Batman and, you know, Sweeney Todd and Edward Scissorhand. Like, is this thing? It's like, yes. And it's just, for me, it just kind of like, it, it wraps me up. And it's one of those movies where, like, you can kind of get just lost and immersed in. And Big Fish fills that for me every time. Cause, like I said, it's just, you have, especially because it's like my dad, uh, my dad being uh, with his various jobs throughout his life, and especially since he, is like a pastor now and stuff, so like he talks to people and, and has to relate to them and be sociable and uh talk in a way that they will listen. And I, being an actor and I do write, it's like I just see a lot of parallels with the Edward and his son and between my dad and me. And that's not even getting into just how much I love, I just love the crazy stories when you're like, you know, the little kids go see the witch. And what happens to them, and uh, and of course the love story is fantastic. How Edward wins over uh, uh, Sandra, it's cheesy, and some of you I don't know like what your tolerance for like cheesy romance stuff is. You might sit there and start you know wanting to go gag with how it handles itself. But I think it's brilliant and it's beautiful, and it's hard for me not to have a tear in my eye when I'm watching all of it. <laughs>
0: I'm going to be honest with you, that was like the one part of the movie where I was like, when I was watching, it, I was like, that's borderline stalking almost."
1: <laughs> I know, like, I
0: know. I hate to call it out as that, but like when I was watching, it, I was like, he's kind of stalking her a little
1: bit. No, I know. I Look, I know it's it follows a lot of romantic tropes and a lot of romantic tropes when you break them down. Kind of don't look so good when you examine them closely. <laughs>
0: Speaking of tropes too, there's, uh, there's some parts of this movie that I don't think aged quite well (laughs) (laughs) and like the whole North Korea stuff. I was like, Oh, yikes.
1: Well, that was, I mean, was that supposed to be North? I thought that was supposed to be like Japan.
0: No, it was, um, I thought it was initially too, but he actually got drafted for the Korean war.
1: Okay. Yeah. I, I mistook that then.
0: I, I was thinking of the time frame and I was like, Oh, if this is like the forties then he's probably like in Japan. And then I realized I was like, Oh wait, no, this is in North Korea. And I was, I was just very wrong. <laughs> on that but it's sure. like, there's, there's seen, there's parts of that. And like the puppet that, you know, the performer had, I was like, Oh boy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs>
1: like, yeah. You know, well, I mean, at the same time though, it. I, like it, that's the kind of things they would do back then of like, that was acceptable to do at that time. So it's like, do you, shrink away from it or do you embrace it or not embrace is the right word, but acknowledge it.
0: Yeah. And I, I think it was acknowledged. I it's hard to tell with stuff like that, especially when it's like, it doesn't affect me in the way that someone who else might be watching. It might be like, yeah, I, I, that makes me uncomfortable, but like, you know, that's, it reflects also like the views of people from that time period as well. Exactly. It'd
1: be different if like they were doing all of that set in the modern day.
0: Right. It would be well, it was inappropriate then, but it's definitely inappropriate, inappropriate now. And it's like, exactly. We can, no, we can look at it and acknowledge it and like look at the fact that it's also a story.
1: Like, exactly. Yeah. It, it probably
0: it, didn't even happen that way.
1: Exactly. It's, a, it's, a, it's like a the term is like the unreliable narrator, but mm-hmm. it's not. But typically when that gets that gets implemented, the unreliable narrator is usually when they're trying to like hide something or lie to you. This is more of like, it's just a guy who just wants to tell you a good story where there's good, there's evil. And the guy gets the girl in the end.
0: Right. And that's kind of what makes this movie so wonderful is like, I love the way that he told stories because it was, it didn't even matter if you're like, Oh, I totally believe this because you're, you're in the movie. Like you're just watching this movie and you want to see what happens. But the way that he tells these stories and how they're presented are just so, so brilliant. And mm-hmm. so I love the way that Tim Burton framed a lot of these because it was like they were wholesome at heart. Yes. And the scene with the giant and the circus when he's learning new things about this woman that he's in love with every day and the werewolf. Let's talk about the werewolf.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I understand that, that, that kind of comes at you out of, no, out of in a movie with a lot of left field moments. That's like the most left field
0: I mean, in all honesty, I thought something else entirely was happening when he first
1: went up to his. <laughs> no, I think it's done that way on purpose. I got it. I
0: was like, is this about to be a very different movie? And then <laughs> a wolf popped out and I was like, whoa, <laughs> like, that is not what I expected at all.
1: <laughs> and that's the best part. I think with Tim Burton's name being in on it, you're just there going, oh, gosh, this about to take a turn and become a real Tim Burton movie.
0: <laughs> and it, it always was a Tim Burton movie, but it was like it took the lighthearted elements of all the things that he loved to have in his movie. Absolutely. Just amplified them in a way that told a wonderfully brilliant story that was kind of just sweet.
1: Yes. And I feel like that that's the goal. It's not like, uh, it's not aiming to have like a grand moral. It's just meant to be a very sweet story that kind of just makes you, you feel better when it's over. And of course there's some little like one liner jokes that when I saw it as a kid, it wasn't until I got older I understood. Like when uh, Danny DeVito, I forget the, uh, I forget his name as a, his character name, but when he's looking at the giant, and he just looks at and goes, "Do you know what involuntary servitude means?" <laughs> and, then, and he goes, "Nope." Uh, "Malicious contract." <laughs> "Nope." And he's like, "Sign here."
0: <laughs> so funny, and it. Oh, there's so many small details throughout, like all that movie, like. I'm also like really glad, you know that the town that they filmed uh specter in is actually still a place.
1: Oh, that's amazing.
0: Like it's not a, an actual town, but it's an is it abandoned like a film town.
1: town. Yeah.
0: It's like an abandoned prop basically that they okay. still have everything up there. And I think people go and visit it every once in a while. But like, unfortunately I think the the big main building in the back actually burned down in a fire, which is really sad. I had to look oh, that up.
1: That's unfortunate.
0: But it is really sad, but it's, it's cool that, you know, they left it there. And like for Alabama, that was probably so cool for their film industry and for like, Oh yeah. Tourism. Cause they were just stoked. They're like, dude, movies are here.
1: Like, yeah. you know,
0: celebrities are in town and they, cause they filmed that whole thing in Alabama. Oh yeah. It was all filmed in location. And that's, that's cool. That's probably like one of the, the beginnings of when, you know, like Hollywood, major Hollywood production started to shift over to filming in the South.
1: That's true. Cause like that was in 2003. So that was definitely a novel concept at the time.
0: Right. It was like right before True, like True Blood started filming in Louisiana, which if people don't know, that show is filmed almost entirely in Louisiana state.
1: Yeah, which nowadays that's like, well, what's the big deal? But at the time, that was huge.
0: Right. And it, it's cool because, it, you know, you get a genuine feeling like you're like, this isn't just a set like I'm in Alabama. I am yeah. in his hometown where he grew up and it's so fascinating like watching that but like the way they use lighting in particular like what did you think about the lighting that they would use for like the different time periods
1: i loved it cuz it kind of gave them like where you're talking about like a sweet or well, i said earlier about like with whimsical and it feel like i know it's a weird word especially for like to for a grown man to be saying but it's the to me the perfect word that Wim- huh
0: i'm i'm agreeing with you
1: <laughs> oh, okay Sorry, i just At first, I thought you said, like, something else. But anyway, with Whimsical, it's like, it's just, I don't know. It just, it felt like, it was almost like you're being told a really, really great bedtime story. And the lighting kind of just kind of gave it heightened. Like, it it kind of just heightened everything where you're like, oh, this is definitely, like, almost like a dream. Not not dream. Well, when he he was an inspector, it was kind of done like, it was almost like a dream state. Because I get the, you know, the men like, oh. Maybe I'm looking too far into it, but I always always like, oh, he had a near-death experience. But uh, yeah, the lighting, I, I dug it with how they just, it's almost like you, it, it helps show the difference when you're in the present day versus when you're being told a story. And it's really cool when you have that difference, because even though obviously it jumps across decades, so it's pretty obvious when you're in a different time period just based on how people are dressed or how Edward Bloom, how Edward Bloom himself looks. It's just like you're saying, adding little details like that to help. This is a completely different, almost like universe mm-hmm. from the present.
0: Yeah. It feels like a big, like fairy tale that he's in, but it, well, I don't know if I should say fairy tale, but like, it was like an American tall tale. It's very yeah. uh, like, it was very, when he's in the past, it reminded me of like a Southern Gothic kind of aesthetic where there's moments of like, Ooh, that's kind of like freaky. That's a little frightening, but it's like this, idea of like this fantastical world set in the American South. And when you brought up whimsical, like whimsical is a perfect way to describe it.
1: Yeah. Uh, and I'm a, I'm a big sucker for the soundtrack too, because my uh, parents, since they're children of the sixties, raised me on that music. So it, they, if they listen to this, they would be probably a little upset if I didn't mention the soundtrack. Cause it's, the soundtrack is great. It's phenomenal. Uh, all the songs they picked perfectly fit with whatever was happening in the moment. Yeah, like I said, I think, and I know, we're probably going to jump around the movie in terms of like chronologically, but it's like at the end of the right at the end of the movie, when the son is talking to the family doctor, and the family doctor tells him the real story of about his birth, hmm. and he finds out like, oh, it was actually like kind of boring, and the doctor goes, yeah, and back in those days the men were not allowed to be in the same room as the mother while she was giving birth. So it didn't change anything by him making this grand story. And he's like, so which, which one would you want? The boring story where he's like, Oh, I stood outside for a few hours or really amazing metaphorical story that kind of had a moral at the end of it about a guy trying to catch a big fish using his wedding ring.
0: Yeah. I I love that part of it, especially like when, you know, when we have the wedding scene with him, like kind of like, He's the only one in there who's just like, oh, gosh, like I've heard the story a million times before, Mm -hmm. but everybody else is just completely entranced. Like even if they've heard it before, they're like looking at him, eyes fully locked on him, all that attention. And it's just so like it was a small thing that I think like, well, it's obviously very obvious, but they don't linger on that. They linger on him Mm -hmm. and like his control over that entire like story. Because I was immediately hooked after that. Yes. Like, I saw the the big CGI catfish, and I was like, okay, interesting. And then, <laughs> <laughs> like, that scene was what really cemented it for me, because I was already in, and then I was, like, in, in after that. Yeah,
1: because it really... It, it did a great job setting up what the big conflict that's going to arc throughout the entire movie is. Right. And... Uh, hmm? Go ahead.
0: Another, another thing about this movie, like, with that arc specifically, is, like, the bouncing between the two timelines. I've never... Had a problem with the movie's pace because it is very it's a very slow paced movie, Mm -hmm. which normally would be like a strike for me (laughs) because I'm not super big into like if you're going to do a slow pace, like you have to do it right. And sometimes it's just not done well.
1: Yeah, it's a fine line. And if you don't do it well, people fall asleep.
0: Right. Like I'm mostly a screenwriter, so I'm kind of a stickler for pacing. That's fair. You know, that's just something like when I learned writing, like one of the things that I had like naturally locked in kind of just from years of doing it was like story pacing. And I feel like the story takes that and so because it's only two hours, Mm -hmm. like the Dark Knight feels like a very much quicker movie, even though it's like two and a half. It's I think it's two hours and 40 minutes almost. Mm hmm. And that's a, that's a long movie. (laughs) Yeah. That's a hard movie to like sit through for that long, but they, they make it easy because the pacing is just so brisk and quick. And this movie's different in that regard because it's much slower. It's, it's not necessarily a slow burn, but it takes its time bringing these stories to life in a, a way that gives them development.
1: Yeah. And actually listening to you say that just made me think of something of like, that shows the dynamic between Edward Bloom and his son, because Edward was a big fan of, he didn't care if you rabbit, tri- he's one of those guys, that if you start talking to him, you ask, he's a guy that I will tell you the old saying of, don't tell me how the watch was made, tell me what time it is. And he's very much, he'll tell you not only how it got made, he'll tell you where every single piece was forged. He'll tell you what the band was made out of. He'll tell, uh, And he's really good at it. So like you talking about that, it's true because, like, the memories, like, and versus the present, it kind of was showing the pacing difference between the, the father and the son. Because the father, obviously, he was a big believer in taking his sweet time. And you saw that in the present day scene when uh, Edward is lying in bed talking to, uh, I forget the uh, son, like his wife, I forget her name, the French lady. Um, but he's telling her a story of like a crow visited him when he was a kid and gave him nightmares of how you know, his dad was going to die mm-hmm. and how his dad's like, and he goes, "Oh, so his dad for like an entire day was just terrified because he found out pretty much whoever this crow told him in his dreams. If they say this person's going to die, they end up dying before the end of the day. So like his dad's sitting there like, and he just looks terrible at the end of the day. Cause obviously he was waiting for death to come for him. Right. And he's like, I've had a bad day. And the wife just goes, Oh, you think you've had a bad day? This morning the milkman dropped dead. And the and the wife just starts laughing because she's like because <laughs> she was so like entrenched like oh my god I'm about to hear this tragic story and then realizes it was a joke the whole time.
0: Right? He he's incredibly like charismatic too which is like the the actor they chose Albert Finney. Yes. Um, Brilliant.
1: He's
0: he's so so good in this. He's so easy to develop like sympathy towards like His son, on the other hand, is like you can kind of understand where he's coming from, but he's a bit more flawed of a character. And I think that's why it was like so I'm glad that they focused a lot of their time on, like, the young Edward Bloom. Yeah, because he's just so likable. He's so easy to follow. And his son is like, I don't want to say the antithesis because it's like you can tell he's a good man. He just wants the truth because he doesn't understand the joy of storytelling because he's not yet a father. and the joy of life it's like well that's you know bringing it back to like the idea of storytelling that you mentioned earlier like in my opinion storytelling makes everything better like sometimes you know unless you like have to tell the truth like if you're
1: (laughs) (laughs) if you're talking to a cop edward bloom
0: would be the worst person to have to testify
1: Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) at that point Short and succinct is, is key.
0: <laughs> You'd be telling this grand old story. They'd be like, that is completely impossible. And he's like,
1: oh, yeah. <laughs> well, Back when I was in
0: Alabama fishing for the big fish or like, like oh, back when always, I fought a werewolf. And they're like, oh, God, they're like this always guy, doing it again." Get him off the stand. <laughs> you, have like, you have like a guy in the back who like shoots him with a blow dart. <laughs>
1: <laughs> get him down. Your like, honor, I'm sorry off. for bringing him up here. No, but uh, no, I agree with you, like story. And then, and that's the big thing. Like, it's it was also interesting, too, that it's like everyone understood except the son about mm-hmm. the importance of storytelling. Even the wife understood it. Because mm-hmm. uh, like when you finally saw the and I know, like you talked about with the romance thing, it was a little stalkerish, though I will defend that saying, unlike a lot of movies where a guy wants to marry a girl who's already spoken for Mm -hmm. they magically make a guy who was good suddenly they write him to be bad so you feel no sympathy when he loses the guy that she was engaged to was written as a jerk from the beginning
0: you know funny little segue here
1: i'm pretty sure
0: that he was also in the office
1: potentially there's a good chance
0: i think he no i think he was pam's uh Oh, wow, was fiance.
1: he? Who's <laughs> Pam's fiance?
0: Oh, my God. I was trying to figure out what... We- oh, that's so funny. He played an engaged man, and then Jim comes along and ruins everything. And it's so funny. They're like, hey, do you want this new role? He's like, yeah, what's it like? And they're like, well, you don't have to change a whole lot. <laughs> like
1: you- yeah, and, and don't... All, like Are people at least going to be sympathetic for me because I'm a good guy? It's like, no, you're a real piece of crap.
0: No, bro, they're going to hate you.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like, you are literally you're, you are the sole reason that's keeping the woman from having true happiness. So have fun with that.
0: You are, you're the villain of the story. Have fun. And he's like, yeah, oh, great. Right. Well, he was also like, it's funny. He was the dad in, um, I want to say he was in Brightburn. Have you seen Brightburn? Yes, I have. He, I think he was the dad too. Wait, was that him? I think so. He, I, I have to look it up right now.
1: Go for but it. Like, no, no, I'll keep talking while you look that up then. Um.
0: Uh, I'm pretty sure that's him because he it's him. It's him. It's one. percent Oh my god. Him. Oh my gosh. Uh Don Well Is Don something? Let me double good. check really well, quickly.
1: Hey, I'm glad the guy still gets work. Good for him.
0: Uh David Denman is his name. David okay. Denman is the actor. So he was in that. He was in the office. And then he was also in Brightburn.
1: Oh my lord. What a, <laughs> what a
0: collection. What a that, filmography. <laughs> I
1: know they'll say what a range. Like no one could ever say he can't play rain.
0: That's true. And but they'll be like, but, Oh, but um, you were the same character in like in big fish in the office. And he's like, shut up.
1: <laughs> it's like, sorry. Look, that's how Hollywood works back off. But, um, like I said, that's why I had to defend that a little bit. Cause like to be like a boy scout and you know, for convenience of plot, we're going to take the girl away from you. I've always been a sucker for that scene when she opens the window and he's standing out there in the field of flowers
0: Oh, it's such a beautiful shot.
1: I know. It's just like my heart. Just every, I'm like, I'm not really. I'm a bit of a cheesy romantic, but not really. But every time I see that, that shot, I'm just like, oh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's,
0: it's beautiful. And like, I saw it like when I first watched it again, like for the first time, I was like, wow, like just the mm-hmm. use of color. It's like, you know, it's impossible that he like made that happen somehow. But like just the idea behind it and the image that it created is just so beautiful because it's like representative of how much he loves her.
1: Oh yeah. Like this is how much work he's willing to put in. It's like, and I've she's... known
0: you for two weeks and I'm going to plant an entire field of daffodils.
1: Yeah. and no, then then that's why I like the uh, part of the reason why I'll defend this. I'll defend it is because she has that. They uh, address in the dialogue where she goes, why would you do all this? And he's like, because I love you. She's like, you don't even know me. And he has the perfect rebuttal of like, and I have my whole life to find out.
0: And that worked. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, somehow that worked. (laughs) And he, she was like, you know what? You're right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I think what helped too was that follow-up thing when the guy was like, crap out of me. She's like, don't hurt.
0: Okay. And then he just got rocked. He probably got punched like 20 times.
1: Well, yeah. When you see him, like when he's bandaged up in the hospital, like, in case you're curious of how bad of a beating he took, that's how bad it was.
0: It was so funny. I, I was watching, I was like, oh my gosh, they're going to linger on this. It's almost cartoonish.
1: Yeah, which I get, that, and I, and I love that they play, they, they play the line with it. Like we said at the beginning, Dark Knight, Big Fish, very emotional experiences, but get there in very different ways. But just like Dark Knight had to take like comic book stuff and ground them, Big Fish was constantly like taking stuff like almost becoming cartoony, but still staying within a grounded reality.
0: Right. Like the, the story, like, I guess like the, I don't want to say subplot, but the, the plot of like him reconnecting with his son, like I always felt rooted in that world, but there were times where I wished that, you know, that world also had the magic of the world that he was telling, like the, right. the stories that he was describing.
1: Yeah. And I agree. And uh, and of course, it just has the moments that are just hilarious when Edward's in Texas to go just do a normal bank transfer. <laughs> and Steve Buscemi like, hey, the poet. And he's like, what are you doing here? Well, I'm robbing this bank. Wait, what?
0: <laughs> and he's like, hey, I need your help. And he's just like, all right, whatever. <laughs> I, I, at the like,
1: I am so sorry. <laughs>
0: It's like Robert Gary's like, sorry, sorry, sorry. And it, <laughs> the fact that they didn't have any money made it way funnier.
1: Exactly. I don't know. The best part too is when it gets to the point where he, ex- he basically explains like bad loan and lending practices and how that can screw over economies and banks.
0: Oh God. It's so like, that was, that was some biting satire that I was not expecting.
1: <laughs> exactly. Especially cause like, I'm sure that was in the books. I know Big Fish started as a book originally. So I haven't read the book itself, so I don't know, like, what was left in, what was taken out. But that was one of those, like, I don't know if that was in the books. If it wasn't, it seems rather appropriate that right after, because 2003, so that wasn't very long after Enron. So it's like, eh, like you said, very biting satire that was very tiny.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and, of course, when uh, the poet just sits there and goes, well, I need to go to Wall Street. That's where the true crime is. And he
0: makes all that money. And I was like, yeah. I, I hate it when he's right.
1: <laughs> I know that's the best part. Like they don't even like you said, they don't linger on it at all of like they just show a scene where it's like he's in New York talking to him. And they just make it. very. He's been super successful. You don't know how successful, but you just know very.
0: And it's super like reflective of like the dad's humor of like Edward's humor. Like it's dashed in there, but it doesn't make that story entirely about that. It just supplements this idea of like, you take the real world things, but you make them funny and palatable for the fantastical story that he's telling. Speaking of fantastical, I loved when he tried talking about the iceberg dragging <laughs> like being dragged to Texas for drinking water and there was a, a woolly mammoth in it, which number one <laughs> hilarious. Number two, I've been in Texas for almost two years now, and I can tell you there's no way that they were able to one pull that across. Like I was like, Yeah, no, that guy's never been to Texas. <laughs> when he said that he's been to Texas, that man lied to your face. <laughs> he, I know that has never He probably went in the winter when it's freezing cold. It's like the whole of Texas is like, wow, it's really chilly. But Houston's like super, super muggy.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he wasn't in the part in Texas where there would be snow. He was like in the part, like, especially when you say like West Texas, where I grew up like, no, no, (laughs) it's
0: not possible. buddy. you get like
1: a week of winter, but you would not get an iceberg.
0: I'm literally nitpicking a tall tale as if it's a real story.
1: No, 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 but that's that's the thing. That that's the great thing is like if you start thinking that way, it's almost like the movie's purposely trying to like bait you into thinking like the sun.
0: Right. Like I just ignored the mammoth and then I was like, they wouldn't be able to pull that. It's too hot there. Yeah. <laughs> like like that's the water's
1: you, too warm. That's where you draw the line, not yeah, all the other gonna- stuff.
0: Not the mammoth, like a Scooby-Doo uh, villain. <laughs> exactly.
1: Or like when, was, when they cut him off because he was trying to tell that story about like a car at a dealership that got covered in honey and fly stuck to it and flew off with it. And you're just like, you know, he's BSing. But then I loved how they, because um, they spend probably, I'd say, well over half the movie just going back and forth between present and the past. Mm-hmm. And you're told at the very beginning, most of this is probably a lie. So like I said, the whole unreliable narrator. So, oh, pardon me. Um, but, uh, but then there's that moment when they go to the shed, like where his office, uh, is to like start cleaning stuff out. Cause for those that haven't seen it, he, the father has cancer and it's not if, but when, so they're trying to get everything in order before he passes when they're in the office. Uh, edward's wife the son so the the mother she finds the letter from the army that they had given her when they thought he had died hmm. and she found it and the son actually goes wait that actually happened
0: right and his wife looks at him she's like yeah told you so exactly <laughs> kind of shoots in that look
1: <laughs> yeah and, and even his mom was like not everything your father says is a fabrication
0: right which is like she never once interjected like he'd be like he'd basically be like bullying his daddy's like, tell me the truth. Tell me the truth. Don't lie to me no more. Tell me. Don't make a fool out of me. Man. Yeah, and the mom's just like, oh, I guess I'm going to go make some more cookies. And like, just like leave. She's like, screw this.
1: Yeah. Well, because I mean, the other thing, too, about Edward and they really, especially when they're going through his past, like driving the point home of um, he is a prideful man that when he has his mind set on something, he is not giving it up. Uh, especially the couple of times where like, you know, uh, a normal, decent man uh, would walk away from the situation, realize the battle's been lost, and only a fool would keep fighting. Well, I've always been a fool. <laughs> and you're like, oh,
0: so good. <laughs> like, I kind of, I want to get behind that because it's like, man, that's, so probably not practical in real life, but I also love it.
1: <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, it's definitely that situation of like the son after his wife find out about like how his father and mother met and got married. You know, she's like, Well, why didn't you ever tell me about that? And he's like, Cause it didn't happen like that. And she's like, But his version's so much more romantic.
0: Yeah, I prefer that version.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's why even later on everyone's always looking at him going, There's nothing wrong with these. Like, he's not blatantly lying the main points are correct it's the details he fudges
0: it's like you take cursive and then like you put like the little hearts or the flower on like the dots on the eyes
1: yeah like you the extra mile like
0: that yeah like he's he's going overboard because that's just who he is as a person and it's like you know that everything he say is a load of bollocks for lack of a better yeah. way of it. like like the whole giant story and like how he was living in a cave and like mm-hmm. eating sheep and like I knew instantly I was like is that Paul Bunyan? Like, is he, <laughs> is he about, are we about to fight Paul Bunyan? <laughs> Long since I watched it that I was like is there a fight scene in this movie that I just forgot about?
1: <laughs> oh geez. Uh Probably my favorite part, well we'll get to the tear jerking part probably in a minute but <laughs> because that because this is a movie that like we're talking about and you're, you're listening you're just like wow such a whimsical movie why were you talking about emotions because it freaking punches you in the gut at the end and it keeps punching you even when you're on the ground saying stop and it's like no we're not done yet
0: it just kicks you like it, it takes the to quote the dark knight well not quote it but to take from the dark knight when he like is kicking Batman and then he like has like the shoe knife and he just kicks him a couple times with that. That's basically what this movie does to
1: your heart. And <laughs> but it, it's it's a situation of like it hurts so good. I think my favorite obviously I love the movie itself, but like I think my favorite part is at the very end when they're at the I mean, spoiler for a movie that's even older than Dark Knight, that's at this point 17 years old. But the father dies, and at the funeral the son is shocked of how many people from his stories actually show up. And you see Danny DeVito and he has the cane that makes it seem like maybe he's not as, maybe he is in charge of a circus or at least of something. And you see the giant now he's not 10 feet tall, but he's head huge. and shoulders taller than everybody else. Yeah. He's huge. Um, you meet the twins and you find out they're twi- They're not conjoined. They're just twins. Uh, and that's when the son actually started realizing kind of like what his mom had told him. He was telling the truth more often than he he was lying. Like, he didn't lie about the people he met. He maybe just fudged the details of, like, their personalities, attributes, but they're all real.
0: Maybe is a strong word to use. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't didn't maybe exaggerate.
1: (laughs) I know, but like I said, but you found out, like, He didn't just make people up like he would exaggerate and straight up lie about maybe like friends like the two like the twins. They weren't literally conjoined. They were two people that helped him legitimately. And it was just such a touching moment to see all the people that showed up.
0: It was really, funeral.
1: yeah, to know like he really made this huge impact in so many people's lives. And I will say the thing that I did enjoy that I'm glad that I enjoy, but like, I'm glad the address was the son was convinced that the father, that his father, Edward had cheated on his, on his mother. Cause he like, he was such a personable guy. He was always flirting with women. So surely he had an affair or two, maybe even like a secret family. And then when he goes back to Spectre and talks to the, well, she's now fully grown, but the little girl that was there, and she explains to him, he's like, no. Because <laughs> he's like, your father, he's like, to your father, there was only two women to him there was your mother, and then everybody else.
0: Great and line. That's a, such a great line.
1: Exactly. And that's why when she explained, like when she was telling, and I, and I loved how they did that. Sometimes the narrator was a different person. Mm-hmm. And when she was telling the story, she was like, yeah. And then when he left Spectre, the house that he f- fixed, it, it grew old and decrepit and she became a witch. And the son goes, that doesn't logically make sense. He met the witch when he was a child. So how could you become that now when he's full grown? And she's like, well, in his head, it makes sense because it's not your mother. So.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) He kind of just (laughs) applies, like kind of copy paste some elements of that story. Plus like the way she told that story was absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. It was almost as good as like every other story he told, but it was from her perspective. And like it kind of like the magic rubbed off, like because she admired him so much. Yes. As a person, because he was not only like one just doing so many good things, but he was also a good man. And having her like see him in this light and the reveal that, you know, he was the good man that he had always been that, you know, everyone had thought him to be that whole time.
1: Yeah, there man. was no facade, which I think is, especially with the way, like, a lot of movies tend to go nowadays and just, I guess I could say the last 20 years, we're always taught that if someone is too good to be true, it's because they are. Right, that, but
0: not this man.
1: <laughs> exactly. He, What you see is what you're getting. He doesn't have some secret, like, horrific crime that he's trying to hide or cover up or anything like that, like... And it's almost unbelievable because you're like, there are people this genuine don't exist. And it's like, yeah, he's right there.
0: Well, genuine is a strong word. (laughs) (laughs) Again, we're talking about a guy who literally was talking about like wrangling a giant fish.
1: Well, no, I meant like genuine in terms of like. uh, Yeah, no, no, no.
0: Like genuine in terms of like the emotion and their intention.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. He's not lying. He's not going to like, he's not going to stab you in the back. He's not going to you know, uh, what's the phrase of like, he doesn't talk out of both sides of his mouth.
0: Right, right. And I I love that about him because it's just such an easy character to follow. Like, I know I probably mentioned that like three or four times. Like, he's so easy to like. It's true, though.
1: You no, know, yeah, you will be, if you're, I will have to seriously question you if like after you're 10 minutes into the movie and you're not like on board and like cheering for Edward Bloom, I'm going to have to ask you what is wrong with you.
0: Exactly. I, let's talk about the ending, honestly. Like, let's, yes, let's yes. Because
1: uh, once you talk about that and it starts getting emotional, it, that's why I wanted to wait. But yes, let's get to that.
0: Yeah. Let's, you know, in in conclusion of like, you know, the the exploration of this movie, that ending had me crying so hard.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like, and just to walk people through it, like the father Edward Bloom, uh, and it's not too long after him and his son have a pretty i mean it's not like they're not like screaming at each other but it's about as intense of an argument as you literally dying of cancer yeah uh but he gets a phone call well enough he uh gets home from running an errand and when he sees the house empty he finds out oh his father had a stroke and he's now you know on his last legs uh they don't say as much but and part of what i like about this movie is even though there is a lot of dialogue, there's a lot of things that get easily explained through just body language and, like, setting. Uh, the son's sitting there with his dad, and at the beginning of the movie, his dad got to see the witch, and the witch had a glass eye that showed you how you're supposed to die. So his father the whole time was saying, this isn't how I die. The way I die is a surprise. I'm trying not to get emotional. I cried like a baby when I saw oh, this I just a couple of days. So I'm trying not to get there. I'm like, I'm like got to hold it in. Uh, I can cry when we go off air. Uh, <laughs> they're sitting there and the father kind of wakes up a little bit and the son who stayed behind to watch him, the father just says, tell me how this ends. And the son just looks at him and goes, I can't I can't tell stories like you can. And the father's like, yes, you can. Or he doesn't quite say, because obviously he's struggling to speak, but he's like, but he's basically saying like, yes, you can.
0: I think it was what he was saying was, uh, like from an earlier line in the movie when he's like, but you haven't told me that part yet. How does it go? That's right. Like, like this. And I was just like, Oh God, this is it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man.
1: That's right. And he, cause he's like, so cause the son eventually is like, okay, I gotta tell the story then. So he's like, help me out. How does it just tell me at least how it starts. And that's, yeah, the father goes like this and the son so- starts telling the story. You're kind of right there with him because he's trying not to break down mm-hmm. while he's telling the story and you kind of feel the same way because he's because his father kept saying, like, take me to the river because it's kind of been a theme throughout. is that like, he would either get like lost uh, in the rain or he'd have to swim across the river or whatever. So he's like, that's where he needs to go be laid to rest. And so he tells, the, the son tells this fantastic story about his father being laid to rest at the river. He gets to see everybody and it's just this, gut punch after gut punch. Cause it's so it's a juxtaposition of the son is trying to tell the best story he can. And you get told that he is a, he is a storyteller because his father goes, you just write yours down. So he's telling the story as best he can. And it, it's being whimsical again, like the bright lighting kicks back up. It's like you're, it's like the merging of the past and present the whole time. You're just like sad. Because you're like, this is the final story. He puts him down the river and tells him, you become the big fish. Because he goes like, that's what you've always been.
0: Mm.
1: (laughs) And right when he finishes, his father literally, like right when he finishes the story, passes away. I can't remember. I know he says something about like, you know, that's a good story. Or he says, I can't remember the exact line, but he says something to a son that he did a good job and then passes away. Yeah, it's it is a gut punch after gut punch of just like, Oh, and a whole time. And like, you're trying to sit there, not try not to cry while you're seeing all this, like happiness. And like, we're back to whimsy and whimsical again. And you're just like, but why am I wanting to cry?
0: It was so like, I remember like I was tearing up a little bit throughout like the whole car chase and the, you know, driving through traffic and then the giant appearing out of nowhere and like flipping over cars. Yeah. I was like, like laughing through tears. And then when they got to the river and everyone's waiting for, Oh God, I started bawling. Yes. It was, I was just unable to keep it together.
1: <laughs> it's such a good, and it was just such a good send-off for a guy that loved to tell stories. And like, especially throughout the movie that you've been introduced to all these amazing, strange characters. Like, and if you think it's weird that we barely touched on the werewolf, it's like, well, that's, how many strange characters are in this movie. The werewolf is only a small part of it. Uh,
0: I was crying like the clown that was like getting the silver bullet ready to shoot him. That yes. was so funny. <laughs> yeah, he's just loading the gun and he has tears <laughs> pouring down his face.
1: I was like, what? <laughs>
0: I can't believe we didn't talk about that earlier. That's so funny.
1: I, well, cause that's just how the movie you get. It's one of those, like, it's one of those, like, if you haven't, if you, I don't know what to do if like, after explaining this to you at at long form, like we have, if you don't have a desire to see this movie, I don't know what to tell you, but it is one of those movies where like, you might need to watch it a second time. Cause once you watch it the first time and the second time you can help catch all those things, like of like, Oh, this moment just happened. Like you said, the clown with the silver bullet about the killer werewolf and he's crying because he doesn't want to do it. And you're like, wait, this is hilarious and sad at the same time. And, uh. the movie just hits you with all that like quickly. and just moves on. And you're like, wait, are we going to talk about that? Nope. Yeah. And, if, uh,
0: if this movie doesn't affect you emotionally, then you need some soup to wo- like warm up your cold, dead heart.
1: <laughs> I don't know what life has done to you to beat you down, but I'm so sorry.
0: Uh, it's so good though. Dude. I'm really glad that, you know, this was what we chose to talk about because
1: who we, <laughs> yes, <laughs> man, Oh, man. Like I said, to kind of like, I guess, put a little bow on it, because I know we've said about everything we can to say without just starting to, you know, ramble and repeat ourselves. The movie will always ring very close to my own heart. Like I said, just because of the dynamic of... I have a father who tells a lot of tall tales of, we're sitting there like, I don't know how much of this is real. And then you realize, oh, more of it's real than you realize. You're like, oh, what kind of crazy life have you had? So to see a movie that so perfectly encapsulated that, and it wasn't trying to be like edgy or trying to be like, oh, but we're going to teach you this weird moral, or we're just for the purpose of throwing you off, we're going to suddenly make the main character a bad person. It just, like I said, I mean, fairy tale is... It sounds inaccurate, but like an American tall tale legend, myth, whatever. It's almost like Edward Bloom, the man, the myth, the legend. And it's like, you might think, oh, that means it's all lies. It's like, no, that's the only way to describe him. And
0: it's really wholesome. And it's just really like, it's one of those movies that like, I've developed a fondness for so significantly since I last watched it. And yeah. Oh my, I'm so glad you recommended this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I said, I will just, I'll always have a special place for it. And yeah, that is, that is why I like Big Fish. And that's why it is my favorite. And if you ever ask me, there's a couple of other movies I will always throw up as like, kind of like a 1B, 1C. But Big Fish will always be right there.
0: It's a good one. And I hope that, you know, if you guys end up watching that movie, which you absolutely should, even if you've already seen it, I think that if you can take away the joy of storytelling from that and it just warms your heart like it warmed mine, then I'm really pleased that you were able to get that from that movie and honestly, just keep watching movies. And we're really glad that we got to talk about these movies today. I got to talk about my favorite movie, The Dark Knight, and obviously we just finished talking about Big Fish. But like, it's just been so great to like introduce these movies to you guys, movies that you've probably already seen, but now you get to hear people talk about it and I'm really excited to talk about more movies on the future.
1: Oh yeah. And of course, if you have any like comments or anything you want to say of uh, agree, disagree, whatever uh, we're more than happy to hear because as much as we do like talking about movies as well, we want to obviously hear from y'all as well of your thoughts.
0: Absolutely. Please do let us know, like give us some feedback on this, this podcast that you guys have been listening to. Hopefully you're all still listening. If you've left, I'm really sorry. We scared you away, but
1: (laughs) we're really (laughs) glad to have you guys. Yeah. If after this, now that we've done a bit of a long form, hopefully this kind of gives you an idea of how we like the perspective we come from when we're, when it comes to movies, at least like what we look for and how we break things down. So if we can do that and help you develop a love of movies, then I believe I can at least say I've done my job.
0: And we want to talk about this more. So hopefully you guys can like this and share this and, you know, introduce your friends to this podcast and we want to keep making new content for you guys. We're going to be talking about more movies. We're going to be talking about wrestling. We're going to be talking about comic books and superheroes, all the above. And we really hope you guys stay tuned, but thank you for joining us for our debut podcast. I, I had a lot of fun talking about these movies and Caleb, I hope you did too.
1: Oh, it was absolutely a blast.
0: Yeah. Well, Join us next time when we uh, come to you guys with some new movies and we look forward to hearing from you guys and yeah, join us soon. This has been a lot of fun and Caleb, uh, would you like anything that you would like to say?
1: Just uh, be on the lookout because we cover, we're going to cover quite a bit of ground on all sorts of stuff and it'll be fun. And I look forward to seeing what y'all think about it. So please join us.
0: Join us, you guys. Thank you (laughs) so much. And we look forward to having you back.
1: All right. See you later guys.